Well, um, this week I was scrolling through Facebook and um, uh, scrolling through Facebook is, is something that uh, can bring you both joy and uh, angst at times. And the, I saw a post this week that um, it, it had nothing to do with politics and it had nothing to do uh, with the, the COVID crisis. Um, in fact, it was someone referring to scripture, um, but man, this unsettled me. Here's, here's what it said. Your sanctification happens when you persevere, excel still more and more, and set your mind on things above. And man, I read that, and and I, what I felt was angry. Um, and you go, wait, I don't, I don't get it. Like he's he's referring to Colossians three, and 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 Colossians three says this: If then you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear in glory. So why in the world would this make me angry? I think it made me angry because... First, it says your sanctification happens when um, he's saying something that the scripture doesn't say. In fact, it goes directly against what is said just a few verses before. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, by faith, so walk in him, rooted and build up in him and established in faith. That phrase in faith refers to both things. As you receive Christ the Lord in faith, so walk in him in faith. And so I think the reason that this, this post unsettled me so, so much is, is he, the, this guy that posted it, he's a friend. He's somebody I've known two decades. He's a pastor. He's got a, a large following of people on Facebook. Um, and, and I think that for me, as I read it, I just thought, no, this is not good news. Like this is not the best news. This is this is bad news. And I think it's because as I grew up, I grew up in churches that taught good news as it relates to salvation, that you are saved by grace and faith. But I was taught bad news about sanctification. That is how you become more like Jesus, how you become holy, how you become set apart. And they basically said you become saved through grace and faith. But you become a good Christian by working your butt off, by doing everything you can to be able to, to please God. As a kid, I was inundated with instructions about being good and then guilt from messing up. And, and, and so by the time I reached high school, I was, I was ready to pitch my faith. I, I um, had seen a Christianity that was full of rules and no joy. And so um, it, as I looked at Christianity, I thought this only brings shame and guilt or super hard work and discipline, but certainly not joy. I think mostly out of fear, I didn't completely pitch things because I was fearing for my soul. And so um, I decided that I was going to try something completely different and I was going to get in a completely different context. And so I began working at a Christian camp in upstate New York. And and I figured at least the, the pictures of the camp made people look like they were having fun and and, and were happy. And so um, that, that camp that summer before my senior year, um, I began to feel the draw of the Holy Spirit in a way that I never had. And so I began to take walks alone by the lake in order to try to 
talk to God. I began reading my Bible. I would get up. I was a lifeguard. So I would get up and I would set up the beach and I would make sure everything was ready. And then I would spend time before campers would show up and I would read my Bible just to try to know God. And then as I would be in town and I was talking to people, um, I felt kind of compelled to say like, hey, you're looking like I'm looking. And and it seems like uh, it seems like maybe joy can be found in Jesus. And so um, all of those things began to happen together. And at the end of that summer, I thought maybe this is where there's life. But I went back home and I was surrounded again by that religious system of, of rules and of guilt and of shame. And, and as I, I came into that system again, I just thought, man, I, I don't know if, if I'll ever find joy again. In fact, the following summer, I went back to camp and, and I was determined I was going to try to find that, that joy I was starting to feel. And so, I read my Bible way more. I got up early. I, I prayed way more. I intentionally tried to engage people about, about the way that, that um, Jesus might bring joy. And, and none of those things were bringing me joy. So I went and I talked to some of the leaders at the camp and I said, um, hey, last summer, I, I, I began to feel this joy as I began to spend time with God. Um, and, and I don't feel it. And they were like, well, explain what you did last summer. I said, well, I was getting up early. I was praying. I was reading my Bible before, you know, and I was sharing with people the things that I was learning. And and they're like, well, just do that. And if you do that, then you'll find joy. Well, they lied. Um, I, in fact, uh, by the end of that summer, um, I was again, ready to pitch my faith entire. In fact, I actually did. I sat down and I prayed one morning and I said, Lord, I am throwing out everything I've ever been taught. I'm about to go to Bible school for a year. And so in this year, I need you to show me what's wrong with the Christianity that I've seen or what's wrong with the Christianity that I've experienced. I, like I, I even got a completely different Bible. I went from the King James Bible to an NIV. I did everything I could to break the mold and say, I'm going to look at this completely different because I wanted to know him and I wanted to know if there was actual joy. Well, I think my story is not a unique story. My story is something that some of us have experienced maybe together. Um, we want joy in a relationship with God, but instead we experience guilt or shame or frustration or dissatisfaction. And, and we think if I could just understand X or if, if I could just stop doing Y or if I could just start doing Z, then I would find joy. And I would find some sort of peace and harmony with God. But for all of our effort, we don't succeed. And, and we find ourselves longing for joy, but not experiencing it because there's no room for joy in your heart when your heart is filled up with self-condemnation and with fears of failure. Maybe you're better than the rest of us. Maybe you're one of those people that you go, I don't know, really know what you're talking about. I, I am the most disciplined person on this call. I, um, uh, you know, read my Bible. I pray. I'm, I, I do all the spiritual disciplines I know. I give. I, 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 you know, invest in other people. And, and, and yet you may find that you are not finding joy in that. You might find a sense of accomplishment, but not joy. When God wrote to, uh, through Paul to the Philippians, um, he wrote to people who are just like us, people who they, they wanted to experience joy, but it seemed like their joy kept being stolen away. And so when we come to, to chapter three of Philippians, chapter three of Philippians is all about Paul telling us how to guard our joy. 
And so if you have been tracking with us for the last few weeks as we've been in Philippians, um, you've heard us say the deepest longing of our heart is that we have lasting satisfaction, that is joy, and not just immediate gratification. And that, that Philippians is about finding joy even in the most difficult of circumstances, because here's a guy writing from jail, right? And, and, and we said that we were created for joy. And if we miss that, then we miss the whole reason for our existence. And so we said that this joy that we find, though, must somehow be congruous with human pain. And so after showing um, joy in the midst of suffering through the example of Jesus, through the example of, of Timothy, through the, the, the example of Epaphroditus in, in chapter two, then, then he comes to chapter three. In chapter three, he says, finally, my brothers, rejoice, have joy in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me. And it's a safeguard to you. He basically says, look, you should find joy in the Lord. I know that I keep writing the same things over and over again, um, but I do this to safeguard you and I want you to protect your joy. And so he says, look out for dogs. Look out for evildoers. Look out for those who would mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And so he begins to unpack, how do you guard your joy? And he says, you guard your joy first off by rejecting patterns of performance. He says, look out for dogs. Now, this is not pets like Gina and Bertrand were talking about. Um, they're going to get a, a new dog, right? Um, in, in this context, when he's talking about dogs, he's talking about wild scavengers. Like we have coyotes that roam around the Caneo Valley. He's talking about wild dogs. And it's a term that is often in the scripture, um, uh, and especially by the Jewish elite, they, they refer to Gentiles as dogs because uh, the Gentiles are unclean. And, and th when, when Paul uses this word, he, he's basically saying these legalistic people are, are using, uh, they are actually the thing that they claim other people are. He's kind of pointing out their filth and, and he is, is using a really strong word. It's, it's um, uh, not a word that you would have used in, um, you know, like polite. It, it's essentially like we would say a female dog and some woman we don't like. And we use a word that or we you may use a word um, the, to describe uh, uh, both things. It's it's a really harsh term. And you go, man, beware of these dogs. And he's talking about the spiritual elite, the people who think that they are going to tell you how to be spiritual. And he says, um, uh, beware of these dogs. And, and you go, man, Paul doesn't sound very tolerant. And, and tolerance and love are not the same thing, right? Tolerance is, is putting up with something, but, but in love, we have to be willing to fight for like what is right and what is good and what is true and to reject the things that are wrong. And so he says, um, look out for these dogs because he knows that nothing will rob your joy. Like Christians who think that they can't accomplish anything for God or that they don't add up. And he says, look out for evildoers. <laughs> Again, remember these are, these are religious people, religious leaders. And he says, um, these evildoers, they're not righteous. What they're talking about is evil. And, and what he's referring to is very similar to what Martin Luther used to say, which is that religion and moral formation are the enemy of the gospel because they are the means by which people pursue righteousness apart from Jesus Christ. And so he says, look, trying to pursue righteousness apart from Jesus, it's not just 
not a good thing. It's not just a difference of opinion. It's evil and they're evil doers. And he says, look out for those who would mutilate the flesh. And and he focused on the, the custom of circumcision, which is the distinguishing mark of God's people that God gave to Abraham. And, and these people were insisting that, that in the same way, if a Jewish man wasn't circumcised, he was to be put outside the, the, the covenant community, outside the camp. So Christians who weren't circumcised were to be put outside the faith community. And he says, look, um, they want to make you clean through surgery, but instead they make you into unclean eunuchs that should be put outside the camp. And so, so he makes this, this comment and he says, look, this symbol that God has given um, is not the thing that makes you children of Abraham or makes you children of God. This symbol is to show that you already are it's the same thing that we run into sometimes with baptism. People think, oh, yeah, the blood is applied at the point where you go underwater. And it's like, no, the, the blood has been applied. You are a child of God. And this is just a symbol, a way of saying, yes, I am his. And I want to show everyone that I have identified myself with him. And he has identified himself with me. It's the same. And so he says, beware of these people, um, because these people who, who are going to um, impose on you patterns of performance are going to rob your joy. And so he says, guard your joy by, by rejecting patterns of performance. And he goes on to say that uh, uh, we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have even more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. But for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And so he says, look, if you're going to guard your joy, you're going to guard your joy by rejecting patterns of performance, but you're going to guard your joy by pursuing the prize of Jesus Christ, pursuing the person of Christ. And so joy, he says, comes out of not a body that has been altered, but out of a heart that has been altered. And he says um, uh, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, and that I may know him in the power of the resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. As as we think through um, how it is that we pursue the the prize of the person of Jesus Christ, we have to understand that the joy comes out of a heart that has been transformed. In Jeremiah chapter four, it says, circumcise yourselves to the Lord and remove the foreskin of your heart. That is circumcise your heart. Romans two says, he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward of the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is not from men, but from God. And so we worship the spirit of God in heart and, and in our communion with the spirit, um, it's going to overflow in the way that we praise and worship him and in the joy that we find. And so when he says that we are to um, basically glory in Jesus, it's that we are, are to say Jesus is the, the thing that we are most proud of and we put no confidence in the flesh. Martin Luther said our opinion of ourselves is biased and incomplete. And man, that is true. Uh, A third of all Americans that were polled recently um, said that they were absolutely certain that they would go to heaven when they died because they have always kept the Ten Commandments. You know, man, that's people who are trying to put confidence in their works and in their flesh. And so Christians who think that they're spiritual or they're becoming 
um, sanctified because of their work are, are actually just as deceived as the people who think that they've kept the Ten Commandments perfectly. Paul says that um, uh, he has the, he could be the example, the person who has, has uh, reason to put confidence in the flesh. And yet he says, look, the, the, the way that you pursue joy is not that. The way that you pursue joy is making Jesus your prize and pursuing the prize of the person of Christ. And so he says that, that joy um, comes from, from uh, freedom from religious performance. He says this for, this, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them in rubbish that I may gain Christ. As, as he goes through, he says, look, I've counted as lost all of my religious experience. I've written it off as damaged goods. I've counted it as lost. I have suffered loss. That is, I have cast away anything that is unsalvageable. Like he, he basically talks about religion like it's a totaled car. Like you can't possibly do anything with it. The frame is bent. It's going to the junkyard. I have cast it away. And then he says, um, I count as rubbish. That is, it's like a load of manure that's only good as for fertilizer. And, and, and when you look at this, you understand how he pits that against each other. And he says, I have gotten rid of my religion. That is, I've counted as loss. I've suffered loss. I've, I've counted as rubbish um, because I've exchanged it for a relationship. And when you look each time he talks about Christ, he says, I've counted loss for the sake of Christ. I've suffered loss to know Christ. I count as rubbish to gain Christ and be found in him. And so he says, look, it's not having a righteousness of my own that comes from performing. It has a, it's a righteousness that comes from faith in Christ. It's not about my works. It's about my faith in him. Now, when my faith is in him and I'm trusting in him, then clearly the things that will come out of me are things that are, are part of faith. But it's not that we I remember being told in, in early my Bible college years, like, um, uh, hey, if you want to, to please God, then just start doing the right things and eventually your heart will catch up. And that's a lie. It's a lie. It's your heart doesn't catch up. Your faith in Christ is what drives joyful response to him as opposed to trying to do a bunch of things to make yourself pleasing before God is only going to lead to frustration. It's only only going to lead to um, a, a sense of failure and disillusionment, a, a sense of being unable. And, and, and all of those things are true. You're not able apart from him, right? And so um, I think when, when we, and we've talked about this before, um, when we look at our lives, we tend to be people who think of the work on the cross as something that accomplished what what was done on the day of atonement, but only halfway, right? In the Old Testament, the, the day of atonement, um, the people of Israel were to bring um, two goats before the high priest and they were to slit the throat of one. And it was to, the blood was to cover their iniquity. It was to cover their sin. And it was to say um, uh, in the same way that this blood is, is covered the ground, your sin is covered and God will remember it no more. But they were also to take another goat and they were to lay their hands on it. And they were to confess all the sins of the people. And then they were to take that, that goat all the way out into the wilderness where it could never find its way back. And, and the, it was to take with it all of their shame and all of their guilt and all of their inability to perform. And, and when we try to perform, what we're saying is only one goat showed up on the day of our atonement, that, that somehow we have 
the freedom from the penalty of sin, but we do not have freedom from the guilt and shame and the, the performance orientation that goes with our sinful nature. And so he says, um, uh, joy comes from, from being free of all of these religious pressures. It's, 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 uh, laying aside the, the, the performance mentality and picking up Jesus as our prize. And so he says, we make Jesus our prize. And, and, um, and he says, uh, I have suffered the loss of all things in order that I may gain Christ. And then he goes on, uh, in verse 10 and he says, um, if I can click it here, uh, that I may know him, that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. When um, uh, I was in that year of Bible college, I was telling you about at the end of the year, uh, there was a guy that came and spoke in chapel. His name is Mark and Mark spoke on Philippians three and, and the translation that he used when he got to verse 10, it said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sufferings being made like him in his death. And I remember hearing those words and something began to ache in my soul. And I thought, man, I want that. I want to know Christ. I, I just want to know him. I, and, and what was unfortunate is that as Mark talked, he didn't say, and this is how you know Christ. Instead, he focused on um, the, the the power of the resurrection, and he talked about it like we are a plug that can be stuck into a wall, and, and you can tap into the power of the resurrection to finally be free from your sins. And I didn't know then what I know now. I didn't know that that was the opposite of what Romans 6 says. Romans 6 says that we died with Christ and our sins were buried with him and we're free from them and we don't have to walk in them. And it's not that we have to plug into the Holy Spirit to be free from sin. Our sin has died with, with, with Christ and it has been buried. And we, we can, the only problem is, is that we are living in a lie, believing that we are somehow still bound by our sins. This week, uh, um, a guy who had been my boss, um, and uh, uh, he, it, actually, he was our landlord, uh, our first year of marriage. Um, uh, his name was Paul Buber. Um, Paul Buber had me dig um, a, a uh, doggy gate around his, his property. It was one of those electronic underground fences. You put the collar on the dog. And, and so while I was in college, that was a, a job that I did to make some money so that I could pay off a traffic ticket. Um, but uh, uh, I put this, this doggy um, gate in and uh, the dog would, he would call the dog, come here, boy. And it would come running and it would stop. And because the shock and the collar, it didn't want anything to do with that. And so the dog got used to where this thing was. Well, what happened was I put that thing in in September and then the following spring, his whole yard flooded and it shorted out the whole thing. And yet his dog would never go beyond the boundaries of that because it had learned it and it was living a lie and it lived the lie that somehow it was still hedged in. And that's what we do when we think about, about having to overcome sin as like, oh, it's still this thing. It's no, it's just, we're not believing right that, that Jesus has taken all of our sin and it's been buried with him and we're believing the lie that we're still bound by it. And so he says, I want to know Christ. And that's the focus of this. Not that you have some power that you plug into for sin management. It is, I want to know Christ and his power um, because he's 
my prize. So he says, look, you, you're going to guard your joy by um, rejecting patterns of performance. And you are going to guard your joy by by pursuing the prize of the person of Christ. And so um, he says this, um, that by any possible means, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am I, I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. And basically what he says is this, um, he says, I press toward the goal of the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, and let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. And so he, he says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us, for many whom I have often told you, and now I tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory is their shame. With minds set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And so he says, look, the, the pattern of performance is the enemy of the cross. The, the end is destruction. The, the, the God, their desires, um, it's, it's power and pride and prestige. They, they glory in their shame. That is perception of, of, um, being faithful be, by trying to work hard. And, and their minds are on earthly things, the perception of people, their, their image, their prestige. And he says, the prize of Christ is our goal and it's our reward. And he says, the end is our citizenship in heaven, that we get to be with him. It's not about heaven. It's about where Jesus is. It, the reward is our transformation into Christ likeness, that he is both our goal and he is our reward. It, and, and so he says that Christ will transform us and he will bring all things under his rule and therefore, he says in, in 4.1, oh, maybe I didn't, oh, there it is. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my stand firm thus in the Lord. He, he begins saying, find joy in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. And he ends with stand firm in the Lord, because this is where you're going to joy, find joy and where you're going to, to be able to um, uh, guard your joy. Be, it begins and ends with the Lord. And so uh, as, as we think about this, we just have to look at our own lives and go, where is it that we feel bound by performance? Where, where is it that, that we think that somehow we have to win God's acceptance? How is it that we could be free of that thing? What would it look like for us to stop performing and start pursuing the person of Christ? What would have to happen in our hearts? What would change in the way that we acted? Are, are we willing to, to lay aside all of our effort and, and count all the good things we've ever done as a total loss, as a total write-off? Are you to make, ready to make Jesus your prize? I think that if we're going to make Jesus our prize— then we have to understand that there's other things that are not our prize. Victory over sin is not our prize. Feeling spiritual is not our prize. A perception of being holy is not our prize. And some hope of a trinket one day that sits on our head in heaven is not our prize. Jesus is our prize. 
we must make him our goal and our end. He is the prize. And so we pursue him above everything. God wants us to experience joy and he doesn't want it stolen away. And so he says, look, guard your joy by rejecting patterns of performance. Guard your joy by pursuing the prize of the person of Christ. I I can't imagine what would happen to American Christianity. I can't imagine what would happen to Christian Facebook posts um, if, if the church proclaimed freedom from patterns of performance and we didn't have to try to make ourselves look good. If, if we showed people how to live joy by pursuing the person of Christ, man, that would not, we would not be telling people about the glory of Jesus. We would be showing people that Jesus is glorious. Philippians 3, find joy in the Lord. You don't have to perform. Find joy in the Lord. Pursue the prize of the person of Jesus. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have set us free and whom the Son has set free is free indeed. That we are no longer bound. That we don't have to earn your favor. In fact, there's nothing we could possibly do to earn your favor. It is by grace we have been saved through faith and not of our own works. It is a gift from God so that no man can boast. Lord, we thank you that the way that you began by grace and faith is the way that you complete us. And so, Lord, we ask that you will give us greater faith. And we do know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And so we pray that the word of Christ will dwell in us richly, that we will embrace the word as it's spoken, as it's preached. We will embrace the word as we sing it together. We will embrace the word as we read it and we hide God's word in our heart that we might not sin against you. Lord, we want to know you. You are our prize. You are the thing we long for and the ache that we have as we see pain and suffering, as the ache that we have have when we see death. We know that all of those things are the opposite of you because you are good and everything you do is good. And so what we are longing for in this life, as we see those aches and we feel those things deeply, we are desperately longing for a time when we're in your presence and free from all of that, because you will wipe away every tear from our eye and you will, will take all of the pain and all the suffering and you will replace it with joy because in your presence is fullness of joy. Lord, we thank you for the joy that is found in Jesus. We pray that we will make him our prize and our possession. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.